Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Got a really cool guest today. Uh, his name is Brian Selman. He is a the director of player development. They call those the player of director of player engagement in the NFL, but for the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball franchise. And on this podcast, we share his journey into getting into that. He actually played uh, the way we connected was we he played in Alabama for the 2009 national championship team with one of my good friends. Um, through a friend of a friend, we got connected. He's very passionate about the journey of athletic transition, which is really the intention of this podcast is to share, you know, the unique challenges that athletes face, um, not just at the pro level, but, you know, every level of letting go of this identity. And he's been with the Pirates for 12 years and um, the wisdom knowledge that he's accumulated. Um, he's going back to school currently to get his doctorate in education psychology and, um, don't know the exact title of what he's working on, um, but really fascinating. I mean, this conversation is really beautiful, uh, the way he's able to bring some of these concepts um, from kind of academia and then experience uh, with the Pirates and working with players directly and experientially. And, you know, we just had an amazing conversation. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. If you're a former athlete, I think this is definitely one to listen to. Brian shares a little bit about his own personal journey. Uh, getting cut from the baseball team, his junior year of high school and the, the transition there starting young and then uh, deciding to walk on as a long snapper to the University of Alabama and that, you know, leading to the 2009 national championship and laying the foundation with Nick Saban when he first got there of the dynasty that is still to this day going on. Um, really cool that we got this podcast in now. Uh, opening day of baseball was uh, just last week and I'm really into baseball. I got a fantasy baseball team. It's a lot of fun. It's one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, so I'm really excited about the baseball season starting back up um, with a full docket of games. Um, if you're interested in fantasy baseball, reach out to me. I'd love to, to, love to chat to you. Um, but yeah, before we dive into the podcast, I want to share a little bit about the Heart Collective exclusive community for former male professional athletes that I am building uh, co-creating with the members that are already joining. The momentum is building. If you are a former male professional athlete looking for community, for a place to feel heard, seen, safe with other men who have gone through or are going through a similar experience of transitioning out of sports. I mean, it's what we talk about today on this podcast with Brian. I truly believe that the one missing key ingredient to the difficulty and unique challenges that are faced every professional athlete is this community and 
you know, feeling supported and seen by other men who are going through a similar experience. I mean, it's something we've been a part of our entire lives, being in a team sport, in the locker room, focused on a common goal, being surrounded by other men, high successful, high achieving men. And this community is really in support of us together, um, provide a lot of content, um, weekly content. There's weekly calls, bring on uh, different thought leaders to do master classes. And we are creating a library of master courses, which I'm really excited about because those are going to anybody that wants to purchase them. Um, but they go at a discounted rate to members. So if you're interested in following along on the heart collective journey and what these athletes are learning about, but you're not an athlete, go to the heartcollective.com and check out what we're working on. Website's kind of getting revamped right now, but a lot of really exciting stuff in the works. If you go to the website, put your newsletter in, you can stay up to date with all of the amazing things we're working on. Also, first retreat, we are hosting in Colorado, in the mountains. It's beautiful. June 3rd to 6th, that is open to former male professional athletes only. If you are interested in that, reach out to me directly or go to the website. There is a wait list and uh, put your information out there and you will be hearing from someone from the team. And I really appreciate all your support. That's spelled H A R T the heart collective.com. Go there, visit it. Also, if you haven't checked out my other podcast, quantum coffee, it's a lot of fun. Links are in the description. Go check that out. I discuss the unanswerable questions of the universe, spirituality, transformation, and how we collectively can make the world a better place. Got some amazing guests on that. And working on a premium model through Supercast, which is really exciting. So if you want to support Quantum Coffee, that podcast, in the in the show notes, there'll be a link to sign up for premium membership. You'll get premium content. I think it's $5, no, $7 a month. So go check that out. Really excited about bringing that to you. It's going to be a very special creating community around that and engaging with you guys, the audience and the listeners. And I appreciate your guys' support so much. Also, if you haven't checked out yet, Love and Life podcast with my beautiful wife, Sarah. First season is live. Um, that will be in the show notes as well. We chronicle our journey when we met to when we got married and we are going to start releasing the episodes around the birth of our new baby boy, Luca. And it was uh, quite the journey. The birthing process was something else. A uh, lot to process there. And if you're interested, go to the Love and Life podcast, hit subscribe. We have the episodes where we kind of process through that experience together. Um, it's really beautiful. I think it has a lot of value to add, especially if you're a parent. Uh, follow us on our journey, raising little Luca and what that's going to be like. Um, what else do I got? Follow my newsletter to stay up to date with everything. It's in the show notes. And uh, yeah, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Leave a review rate it, share it with your friends. It goes a long way in helping me grow the audience and reach um, the guys that really need this kind of support. If you are a former athlete, reach out to me, man. Even if you, uh, you know, not interested in the community, I'm here to support you in any way I can. Uh, I know it can come with a lot of unique challenges and I feel you. I've been there. It's isolating. It's lonely. Um, but you don't have to do it alone. We can do it together. And uh, without further ado, I hope you really enjoy this new podcast with Brian Selman. All right, Brian Selman, what's up, brother? How you doing? Man, good to be here. I'm pumped about this. Yeah, I'm stoked to have a, have a conversation with you. I know you got a lot of experience uh, working with the Pirates, I think over the last 12 years as the... Yeah working into the role of, of a player of direct 
player development? How would they say it? It's in been the- player development for the bulk of my time with the Pirates. Um, now my, my title includes, it's a little fancier coaching and player development, but really what that means is working with our group of minor league players and staff and trying to push that, um, push all of that towards Pittsburgh in a, in yeah. a meaningful way as possible. Yeah, developing the the total human, not just the athlete, right? Because there's so much that goes into being athlete, and there's a lot of unique challenges with that. Um, but let's go ahead and introduce you to the audience and listeners. Maybe a little background um, of who you are, kind of more detail about what you're doing now, um, a little bit about your journey, and then we can kind of dive into your own athletic journey after that. Sure, stand and deliver. Um, uh, originally from Birmingham, Alabama, I grew up in a, a community um, in, in one of the suburbs there, Vestavia Hills, which you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, um, Vestavia Hills, the athletic program was a, a, a kind of a phenomenon. If you go and look up the Alabama High School um, Sports Hall of Fame, it's littered with coaches that were in that community in that period of time. And I think um, we can kind of revisit this later, but I think a lot of those relationships and a lot of those people really shaped who I am and really what I am trying to do now, but grew up um, and, and the the marquee thing in Vestavia at that point in time was our high school baseball program. They had won nine out of 10 state championships in the nineties at the highest level. And so I spent most of my time growing up trying to become a um, pretty mediocre high school baseball player. <laughs> and so I was a catcher and so spent all my time trying to build up towards that, but also played football and um, anything else uh, in the community. But um, coming into my senior year uh, in the baseball program, I ended up getting cut. And I think that moment, although at 18 years old, 17, I guess for me at the time, I wasn't really thinking about um, the shift that that uh, signaled and, and my identity and who I was and how I had um, you know, the context in my life that I had associated myself with and used to and looked at to, to define who I was, um, all of that changed in that moment. Um, vision of taking that to the next level and everything. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and that, that in experience, um, coupled with some significant divine intervention paved the way for what I was going to do next. I had, you know, summer of my senior year of high school and didn't have anything to do now. And so, I had a couple teammates from the football team that had signed division one scholarships, one at army and one at UAB and used the spring to train with them and continue to refine um, my niche skill of long snapping. Even in high school, that was really all that I ever did and only played as a senior too. And so you're talking about as a senior in high school, I'm I'm getting max eight to 10 reps a game. Um, And so was able to take advantage of that time that I had on my hands at that point and train and prepare for um, track down a, a walk-on tryout date at Alabama. I was going to Alabama one way or the other um, and track down that date and ended up having a, a really solid two days of, of a trying out and they needed a depth third team snapper. And so I won that job. Um, it gets crazy from here. Fast forward two years from there, um, Coach Saban walks in the door. I mean, I was a player in the room the first time he walked in, much like um, John Parker and, and several of our mutual friends. But um, three years later, we're in the Rose Bowl and winning the national championship game and doing the whole thing. And so, you know, if you go back to that moment where my identity was shaken and, and uh, realigned, 
um, I don't think I would have predicted that, you know, this is not as bad as it sounds because five years from now, I'm going to be in the Rose Bowl and shake Keith Jackson's hand and win a national championship. What was that experience uh, like going and winning a national championship in college? Well, the whole thing was surreal. I mean, I think to have been a part of building the foundations of that program like we were and, um, you know, at that time, a lot more, a lot greater percentage of the team was native Alabamians or otherwise local players. And um, to buy in to, to be a part of something that that seemingly felt like it could be huge. I don't think anybody realized that we were laying the, the stones for what it would be now. Um, still but going. It's still going. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop at any time. Yeah. Um, to, to be a part of that, I don't think we realized the scope of what we were doing, but I think we all recognized for one reason or another, the goal and and the, the, the values that was driving it. And by doing that and by doing it together, we were able to kind of, um, sharpen each other the whole way. I mean, going into that 08 season where we had the Florida team on the ropes and ended up, um, giving the game away in the last 10 minutes. I mean, that paved the way for everything that we did in 2009. And so um, you talk about your identity and, and um, singularity of focus and how that just sharpens everything that you do in your world at that point in time. That's what we had. Um, and what was it the made biggest it, shift that Saban brought and like the big change from going to kind of that mediocre Alabama team to like going to the national championship, you could like narrow it down to just a few things. I know there's probably a lot of situations that, you know, painted that picture, but what was the big kind of takeaway from the collective focus that, he was able to get you guys on. Yeah. I think one of the the biggest things I've been, or the most fascinating things I've, I've understood of coach and really come to know it in the years since I've left there. Right. And you get to look back and kind of um, look into some of the psychology and the thought process that he would uh, impart into the program was coach is a fantastic systems thinker. He brought with him to the college game an infrastructure that he had been you know, accumulating piece by piece throughout his career. And so as soon as he hit the ground, some of those went into play, whether it be his recruiting process or um, upgrading the facilities or or the um, nature of how he went and got staff and developed staff and uh, would find creative ways to add uh, more depth in all of those places. And so to do that, there was a lot that coach brought with him that I think we just didn't know we didn't know. Mm. And um, after the fact, it seems obvious. It seems like this is, this is, pretty clearly the play that most guys should try and run. You know, I think one thing in hindsight that I really think he nailed was understanding the importance of the strength and conditioning coach and the athletic trainer at the time. And just knowing how, um, you know, those two guys get more touches per capita over the course of the year uh, than anybody. And so having people that were going to align with who he wanted to be, the, the values that he wanted to play out in a practical way, and just the direction of the program and had some kind of understanding of that. And um, Scott Cochran at the time and Jeff Allen, who's still there. I mean, I think that was kind of a masterstroke. And then the resources that he had around him uh, to help him make sense of everything that was going on, not just, you know, week to week, but like all the time on a human level, whether it be um, consultants he had that dated back to Michigan state, people that helped him frame messaging to players, um, the depth of consideration that he put into it was mm. second to none at the time and really, um, you know, opened the door for that in the industry as a whole. Yeah. There's so much detail that goes into shifting an entire culture and the importance of culture. Cause when you create the foundation for what your culture is, you know, obviously it's sustainable at that point. And the people that come in now, 
they're coming into an already developed culture, but to be a part of that foundation shift of story, I mean, it got to be really special to kind of see the transformation because now guys come in, there's like those expectations of what Alabama is about, but in order to change a culture, I mean, even playing in the pros for eight years and playing at UNLV, our culture wasn't very good and being a part of different really successful teams and not so successful teams. Like it is the locker room and the culture, but there's so much that goes into it. It's not just, you know, the play on the field, it's the energy of the locker room, having everybody aligned on the same vision. And so it's really special to be a part of that. And so talking about the next transition, right? So I'm sure there's another identity in winning the championship. You're at Alabama. Um, that's your senior year, right? So then what comes next after that? How do you process that and then move on? So yeah, winning the championship happened on January 7th of 2010. I had spent um, most of the summer coming into that year um, and some time before really trying to just canvas whatever network I had available to me at the time, which was minimal. Um, but I did have some people in the building in Alabama that had uh, relationships in, in athletics, whether it be football or um, professional baseball or, or any of that. And so um, at that point in time, baseball was still in the hiring season. And although, I mean, I had just been a part of the team that won the national championship at long snapper, um, which is still you know, kind of pinch myself thing to say out loud, even in retrospect, you know, 10 or 12 years later, but, um, baseball was still my dream at that time. It was still, you know, my, my passion and my, my favorite sport and what I wanted to pursue. Um, it happened to be still in the hiring season. And so from there, um, I got an opportunity to start an internship with the Pittsburgh pirates and a group of people that I thought, um, generally were aligned in, in, in the values and, and the way they thought about human development and player development and coaching and, um, very similar to some of the structures I'd come out of in the past, both in high school at Vesavia and um, at Alabama and, and just the variety of people you meet along the way um, and how that kind of frames your lens for um, athletics. And so I have been with the Pirates since February 26 of 2010. Um, and so have tried to um, adapt and grow into a sport that's not native to me, although it was certainly my passion at the time and um, still drives me today, but being able to contribute and really take some of the greatest hits of what I've been exposed to and lessons that I've learned, some of them the hard way. Um, some of them I've watched my teammates and my peers learn in the hard way and be able to take that um, as wisdom and pass it on to a population that is anything from 16 year old, third world out of the Dominican Republic to you know, a 23 year old that just graduated at Stanford and wants to try and play pro ball or something. I mean, that is the range of mm. uh, young people that I'm working with. Um, and then at the same time, trying right? to be like, able to baseball is just such a, a wide lot different range of worldwide talent from such a wide range of ages and backgrounds. I mean, football is just not anywhere close to that, like kind of width. That's crazy. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's really helped me. Um, I think, grow as a, a connector and be more adaptable in how I engage people and how uh, just the, the level of consideration required to be able to connect with a human being, a human being on a, on a personal level yeah. um, and how critical it is to um, pursue understanding of, of their story. And what is it that um, is part of that path, no different than the path I just laid out for you that shapes their identity and how are we going to interact to try and uh, make each other better? Yeah. So Talk a little bit about how your your role with the Pirates has kind of evolved over the 12 years you've been there. And, 
you know, in that kind of, could you define a little bit more about the role of a player, player development, uh, in baseball and kind of in athletics in general? I'm sure you had this experience in college and looking back on kind of the wisdom you have now and how it kind of interplayed in college and its development of athletes period. Sure. Um, so I started my internship in player development and, um, not even really at the time knowing what player development meant in professional baseball. Um, being a part of that early and, and getting to work with a wide variety of coaches. And, and like you mentioned, the, just the breadth of, uh, of human beings that you're responsible for working with and collaborating with both on the field and off the field um, really sparked in me what a passion that I, I wasn't sure that I truly understood at the time. Um, I spent several years in scouting shortly after that, traveling the country and seeing um, players in preparation for the draft, which I really enjoyed watching good players. Um, there were aspects of it that I really struggled with, specifically the the nature of the travel and the nature of the schedule. And then more importantly, you know, if Joe Hawley's a, a first round pick this year, and I feel like I know you inside and out, and you know, my organization is more prepared than anybody to select you. But if somebody calls your name before us, then you're left empty handed. That was, I always thought that was a sobering experience for sure. Um, and so I got an opportunity to get back into player development and really grow from there. I, I think early on, um, you know, my challenges were um, youth and inexperience and, and not native to baseball. Like the, the players that we're talking about that are going to be the future of our major league team, I was the same age. And so some of my contribution was just understanding the things that they were engaging with on a day-to-day -day level were not these fantastical phenomenons that our staff misunderstood, such as Snapchat or something to that effect. And just how like simple it is. You're way more and also how important you're going through in real time because you're the same age demographic as them. Right. And how important that is too. If, if you're a staff member and you want to know where your players are, I'm not sure I understand it, but I've probably lived this on my own too, but there's something that compels 20 to 23 year old young men to broadcast where they're at on social media. And if, if you're trying to help a, a young man perform and, and do life with them in the trenches every day, that is a meaningful signal in some respects, maybe not universally, but for most, uh, it's not nothing. Mm. And so, um, that was part of my role early on. And now to the point where I'm at now being able to have a little more experience under my belt and a little more life under my belt also to, um, still be able to connect with players in a meaningful way, but also to be able to speak into staff and to speak into, um, grown men and, and try and, um, be a sense maker for them and kind of whatever's going on in player development. So that's kind of my evolution in the space um, up to this point. I think um, the more that I've studied it, the more that I've tried to make sense of it, player development is something that is um, widely, widely interpreted um, across different domains. And, and some of it is uh, some of the, the definitions and, and the practicality of it. Uh, is dependent on resources and um, top leadership and um, so many different variables come into play on this. I think in, in baseball, um, the sense that I get across the board is, is it's such a long journey to be able to get to the major leagues and to contribute in a meaningful way. It takes uh, incredible empathy for the players and more than anything, just a servant's heart to be able to show up every day to ask yourself as, as a facilitator or as a coach or as a mentor, whatever your, whatever hat you're wearing on a given day, 
Um, what is it that this player needs from me in his life and how, what is the, the art and nuance and the delicate nature of how I can serve him in a meaningful way to move to the next step? Mm. Um, when you look at football, um, specifically, it, it's even more broadly interpreted because um, a lot of times I, I think some places can get away with not having a, a meaningful investment. And in I think in the NFL, you're seeing it trend much more towards a, a clinical direction where um, resources and player development are more provided as um, just in, in a clinical nature. I, mean, I guess I'm not really qualified to speak as to what a clinical nature actually means, but that's the way it seems to me. And the more studying and research I've done on it, it appears to be that way. Um, <clears throat> in the foot, in the college dynamics, I think you're seeing um, even broader interpretation where um you know, it's for some, it's a story of the haves and have nots. You know, the haves can run um, player development however they choose to, whether it be um, expensive programming or guest speakers or anything of that nature, where the have nots are generally leaning on really, really good coaches and transformational people and human beings to drive um, that development um, aspect of their university. I think sometimes um, you can see similar pitfalls to this, whether, whether it's in the, you know, guest speakers alone don't really signal transformational development, um, whether, um, you know, the football or just, uh, intercollegiate athletics themselves is considering it an appropriate scale where you think, you know, player development, you've got a population of two or three staff members serving 500 athletes. Um, I mean, you're a mile wide and an inch deep there. It's really difficult to do life with people um, and serve them in, in that manner. And so I think um, just on the whole, specifically in intercollegiate athletics, that player development is still somewhat of a sleeping giant. And it's, you know, no different than the way much of the industry looked at strength and conditioning, I don't know, 30 years ago. Mm. Yeah. And we'll dive into uh, your vision of you know, how you want to bring the work and the knowledge that you've accumulated into making a bigger impact in, in, in these different realms. But let's talk about the transition and how the player development um, leads into the transition out of sports. Because, you know, I think with my personal experience in the NFL, like there were, they would always bring in speakers and they'd always say, you know, make sure you know football is something you do. It's not who you are and have a plan B and make sure you're ready for when you're done playing but as an athlete that played eight years in the NFL, like it takes such an acute focus to be in such a hyper competitive environment at that stage that you're not really, you can't have a plan B almost because if you did, you, you'd kind of take it or you'd like have to take energy away from the focus that it needs to be the best player you can possibly be. And, you know, it just, it just, there's this whole missing piece um, as far as the actual transition out of sports. And I found too, um, with the NFL specifically, I don't know as much about baseball and maybe you can shed some light on it is they're not really providing a ton of resources for the transitioning athlete. I mean, they're, they're, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. They, they add, you know, some, some resources as far as like some benefits, like some secondary education, some career placement, but there's no real like support of the athlete moving through. And, you know, for me personally, I think the big thing that's missing is community. And that's what I'm building with the heart collective is trying to build a community of support of peers who are going through a similar experience. Um, but kind of shed some light on, on the transition process out of sports and the challenges that come with that, especially in the, in the baseball realm. Yeah. I think this is a space that <clears throat> for those of us trying to lead in these different environments, it's important to 
to speak with candor about it for starters. Um, you know, at some point they are going to take the Jersey away from you. Uh, and whether that's for Brian Selman or Joe Holly or Julio Jones or Tom Brady, it doesn't matter. There will be a day where they come get the Jersey and you're not a player anymore. And, um, after we've kind of struck a balance of, of sharing that with players is where theory and philosophy just completely scatters across the board on how we navigate that best for our players. Um, the more that I've studied this and, and thought about it just on myself as a human being and, and what were the challenges that I was facing at, um, at 22 years old as a, as a young man and what are the decisions that I was making that, um, you know, had consequences that I was either unaware of or oblivious to, or just didn't care about. Um, same thing to be said for my, my peers also. And, and I think so much of that What's training, one of those unique challenges that you, you did go through personally and you saw some of your peers, you know, leaving the college, college ranks. Well, so for us, it was the trappings of both success and the transition out of your identity where we had just won and the state of Alabama had, I mean, yeah, state, the University of Alabama had not won a national championship in almost 20 years since, right? And so we were, we were a hot ticket um, around town, right? I, I don't think we realized that like, you know, two years later, they'd win again. And then a year later, they went again. And then, you know, like so on and so forth. So quickly. You know, <laughs> yeah, we, our shelf life was limited, but we didn't know that at the time. And um, doing that and trying to make sense of that immediate um, freedom and autonomy that, that we hadn't experienced, right? To your point where like, it takes such an acute focus to be really good at what you're trying to do. Um, and given that, it also shapes um, your, you know, your decision-making process and everything that you do and the people you spend your time with and, and how do you, um, you know, rest and recovery and recreation and all of those things are shaped by really just trying to be a really good football player, whatever that means. And so when you take that vision, that why, that guiding compass bearing out of the equation, um, I mean, I think we were all prone to wander, um, you know, in, in a variety of different ways. Um, at that time. And I think about, you know, my peers that really struggled with, um, you know, who they were when, when maybe they had been the best player in their program for their whole life. And all of a sudden football's over. They're not going to the NFL. Um, now who are you? Um, and, and the sad part of that is I think oftentimes, or at least it seems traditionally we wait until we, you know, hit that intersection to start asking that question and to start mm -hmm. considering that question. Um, and I, I do think to your point, this is one of the most underserved aspects of athletics and also one of the most important, you know, you would think that if you've been a part of an experience that asks you to bounce back from failure time and time again, to do things that make you uncomfortable to work with other people from variety of backgrounds to achieve a common goal. You'd think that all of those traits would just transfer immediately into the real world and you'd be on a trajectory for success. That's just incredible. I find that um, I think it's really special, like working with former athletes because it is this like raw vulnerable place to be where it's an opportunity to reshape the story of who they are. But I think they get lost in the fact that, okay, I lost this guiding star of who I was, which is the sport. And they easily forget all of the amazing gifts that it provided and what it took personally, the, the adversity and the challenges and 
being able to work as a team and focus on the common goal, like all these things to reach those levels of success. And then, you know, all of a sudden you just lose the thing and like all that falls away and you feel lost. You don't know where to put all that energy. And I truly believe that these athletes, if they can learn to refocus and find themselves on a deeper level of who they are and put that energy into something they're passionate about, they can really not only find success, but really have a big impact in the world. And I think that's a really special point and that's why I'm excited working with this, but it is, it's so hard to navigate that because it's not something as an athlete you can prepare for. Like I was right. always an athlete that was like, okay, football, I always had resistance to talking about being a football player and um, like promoting it. And I was always like football, is something I do. I'm like looking forward to the next challenge and, and broadening horizons and doing something new with my life. And as much as, you know, I was like a rare case where I was actually like kind of grateful for being done and, and excited about it where a lot of guys' careers are end, end before they really want them to. But I, I was totally footballed out. I gave football everything I had. And so when it was finally over, like hit like a ton of bricks, like, holy shit, I did not give that enough credit. Like football was a huge part of who I was. I played 16 years. It was the biggest part of my life. It shaped ex everything of who I am. And it's not something as, as many people during the player engagement, player development would have came and talked to me and told me to be prepared and have this backup plan. Like nothing can prepare you for all of a sudden, just that, that rug getting ripped out from under you. Like, okay, I got to figure out who I am. Absolutely. I think to your point where, you know, you had expectations that this journey was coming to an end. You know, I, I mean, I remember <clears throat> taking off my pads after the national championship game thinking that this is the last time that I'm going to do this and being good with it and having, you know, cognitively like prepared for that feeling. Um, but it still hit like a ton of bricks when Monday rolls around and you don't have anywhere to be and you don't know how to handle that time. You've never had to handle that time. Um, and for, um, you know, this is just... I can only speak for a young man out of a suburban in Birmingham, Alabama with a um, steady home life and incredibly supportive family and rooted in a variety of things and faith and friends and all those stuff. Still Every one of those do what? Still challenging. Like you, you just have like all the support systems and everything and it's still. Right. And it's still incredibly hard. And so you think about all those variables that I listed that really help, um, not only support me, but help me calibrate against, right? Like those things weren't going anywhere and they were still part of my identity and it was still incredibly hard. What about for the player that has some or none of those things? How lost are they then? Especially when there's, uh, you know, temptation out there of just still your kind of status in this idea, like especially immediately after you finish and you can go sign autographs and be former such and such player at such and such place. And you make a couple grand in an afternoon, you feel like this status and this recognition that you have, uh, which is what was probably fueling your identity um, or at least partly um, is going to exist in perpetuity until next year. And starts fading that starts quickly, fade. like that national championship. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I man. guess somewhere I'm, I'm just really jealous of the 1993 team. They got to celebrate for like 20 <laughs> years and, and we got, we got two. They were still coming back at halftime when you were, when you were first oh, yeah. started playing in Alabama, oh, yeah. like our 1980 championship team. Yeah. At this point you have to clarify which championship team you're on. Oh, it's crazy. How many have they won now? Oh shoot. Six or seven or something? Five or six. Wow. Yeah. Something wow. like that. Yeah. I think coach has seven now. Like, and what I found too, like I felt like I, I grew up and had pretty 
amazing support and all that as well. I mean, there's this thing that, you know, normal, you know, fans don't really think about is a lot of guys, you know, maybe from a lower income family, inner cities that, you know, they finally make it to the NFL. They feel responsible to all of their friends and family to get them out of the situation they're in as well. And, you know, anybody that, you know, makes any type of money, like money doesn't go that far. Like you make a few hundred thousand dollars, like, and you're living off a hundred thousand dollars a year, you can't support 10, 15 people, with all this money, it goes pretty quick. And that leads to the high percentage of people that go broke afterwards. And then there's the story of the, not only your own identity, but the identity of the people you love the most see you as a football player. And for me, it was really fascinating. Like my parents, they, I didn't really know how to interact with them, you know, early on afterwards, I ended up going through a breakup with my fiance at the time because she was kind of confused about, she didn't want to let go of that identity of being a football player's potential wife and the money that comes along with it. And like me walking away from the game, it was just really confusing for all the people that loved me the most and supported me because they didn't see the challenges of what it meant to keep playing and didn't really feel super supported on that. And so there's just so many different levels of kind of navigation that takes place that you can't really prepare for until you're in it. And so when guys are in it, what are some of the things that you would say can, can help in that transition process? Yeah, I think <clears throat> that's really a, a, a thought and a feeling that's always kind of stoned me in the past is when you go into that transitional phase, uh, which it's not like it's, you know, three months or 30 days. It, it could be, you know, I'm sure that I have teammates that 12 years later are still navigating it and wandering. Um, God bless them. And uh, to your point, I think the relationships that have been a part of the narrative up to that point or where you really see a lot of the most challenging aspects of it, both from them to you and you to them too, right? Because um, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, the journey that they've been on with you and been a critical part of has shifted. And everybody's trying to make sense of that for themselves in real time. And, and it just, it can be messy. It can be messy. And I can think of it, you know, messy situations for myself and um, many other people too. But I, I think when you're starting to talk about transitioning out, I think if, if you're really focusing on that and for us as people that are trying to um, encourage adequate support and, um, you know, phasing out athletes in a, in a, in a helpful way with a lot of empathy and being able to do it in a way that sustains, we, we've got to think about this beyond just education download and Hey, just a heads up, uh, this isn't going to last forever, right? That's, that's grossly insufficient. And I think that, um, you know, this is probably something that uh, we didn't talk a lot about school yet, but this is something that I, I want to really focus on as part of my uh, dissertation and really see what the research says out there. And um, obviously, the military has probably been considering this for, um, you know, hundreds of years. I think they're going to be one of the primary people to look into and think about when people transition out of the identity of being on a, a tour or a deployment, how do they reenter society? Um my hypothesis is that there, there should be a set of skills that um, people feel comfortable falling back on um, rather than saying, okay, well, now I'm not a football player. I've got to go acquire and start over. Um, we can help young people uh, establish a, a set of, you know, rooted traits or rooted behaviors, rooted habits as who they are um, that they can still rely on that still serve them in a meaningful way um, in the real world. And, and I think this could cover a lot of ground. I think this could cover anything from, 
um, knowing how to change a flat tire to having some kind of uh, base level understanding of a, running a budget for yourself or even compound interest and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the thing that they need exposure and um, reps with over a period of time to feel like they have a grasp of so that when they, you know, the title or the role or the industry may shift, uh, but they can see and make those transfers as to um finding application, drawing back on their athletic career. You know, it wouldn't be uncommon at all to go to a um, conference for insurance or business or whatever and have them tell us a bunch of sports metaphors, mm -hmm. you know, and they're drawing on that for resilience and toughness and um, so on and so forth. For whatever reason, we've, we've really struggled to help our athletes make those applications for themselves. Yeah. And so I think building this. Right. Cause like, looking at, you know, the football realm, which is, I, I come from like my whole journey. It's like they bubble wrap the athlete with not having to do any kind of real life stuff. Like they, the structure, the routine, the be here on this time, uh, everything else is taken care of for you. Um, you know, even when you're traveling, you show up the bus, the plane, the hotel, like we don't even know how much all of that really costs. It's like so seamless for the athletes so that they, we can just singularly focus on being the best player we can. And so it's almost like they put blinders on us of what the real world is like. And so that's, that adds to another layer of when you're done playing, like, wait, wait, how do I even create my own routine and structure? Like, how do I get up in the, in the morning of, and, and, and even work out without the workout that they're presenting me, right? Like movement and different right. you know, habits. It's like every, they feed you everything right there in the meals. It's just, it, they don't really allow you to develop as a full human in all those different ways because they want you to just to focus on this one thing. Cause you, they kind of treat you like that commodity, right? hundred percent. I mean, think about, I don't know whether you've done this. I've certainly done this, but when you get done out of your playing career and you know, you've worked really hard to be in this peak fitness shape and you want to maintain it at least in some relative way, typically. And you go into the weight room and I, you know, I wasn't training for anything and I still did bench squat, deadlift, rows, pull up. Like I just did the workout that we did yep. for no particular purpose. Um, and that's a, that's a, a, a very, um, under relatable illustration of it too. I think, think of it this way also similar to what you're saying in baseball. One of the challenges we have given that, um, it's, you know, th there's kind of a cap on overhanded, um, throws and, and being able to do that and prevent injury and like all of those kind of variables, but we really struggle, um, to create practice in an environment that's as game like as possible. Uh, it's really difficult for a variety of reasons, but it's, it's way more difficult in baseball than it is football think about it in football, almost everything that you do is maybe it's at a tick slower pace, but it's game-like, whether it's walkthrough to half line to full to seven on seven to scrimmage, right? Everything about that was pretty cleanly associated with what it's going to look like in the game. And when you're starting to test decision-making, whether it's in an O-line or a linebacker or safety, whatever, like this is when um, you know, in the first couple of days of training camp, we're only looking at base looks. And then, you know, in week two of training camp, we're looking at motions and shifts and twists and all of these things that create variability in the environment for our athletes, especially when we can afford to do so, we're protecting them from all of that variability in a life context. And mm. that gets really scary. Mm. What are some things that we can do while they're playing? I mean, in, in the <laughs> development world, 
what are some of the things that, you know, maybe, maybe we are trying to do now, or you, you can, you kind of envision implementing that would really help change that, that narrative as far as athlete. I mean, I know it's like a systemic thing that's really deep into the culture, but. Sure. Sure. And there's trade-offs for all of it too. I think part of this is just having enough people that are motivated to just serve players and, and really just help them in this process of becoming and then being able to do it at, at an adequate scale, right? Like a lot of the people, even at um, universities with resources, when you're trying to service um, 500 athletes, it's it's not possible to go deep with many, if if any, really, frankly. And so a lot of times what they think of it, uh, like the best strategy, given the nature of the scale, is programming and broad strokes education. And now that we've delivered this to everyone, then they're prepared. Um, and the, the trade-offs are that or the relationships, right? No differently than, you know, if you and I had to rattle off two or three coaches that um, you could dial up in a minute, it's the relationship that makes that wisdom gold and gives them the, the opportunity to speak into your life. And um, I think considering it appropriately, it's, it's this thing being seen and heard, right? Cause like, even if you do a program at scale to 500 athletes and you speak to them about even like, mental health and emotional health and all this stuff. It's like that goes in one year and out the other. And and when people don't have the opportunity to share where they're really at with someone that's truly present with them, they hold it in and that, you know, festers. And that's what we're talking about, right? It's like the power of being present with these athletes and getting them to know themselves and being comfortable enough to share where they're at that. I mean, that will help help them uncover like who I am, right? That question of who I am before they're done playing. But yeah, it comes down to resources, right? Like being able to provide enough resources. And it comes down to being able to consider deployment of resources in the most effective way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could you could spend massive amounts of money with speakers and programs and um, all that stuff. <clears throat> most of that stuff really just fuels recruiting as I look at it. Um, because it is interesting and it does create positive energy for a program and, and all of those things too. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily doing life with people. And when you're talking about, um, values acquisition and, uh, life skills, and when I say life skills, I mean more than, um, resume building and networking just as this like mythical concept that'll solve everything. Um, like it has to consider where each person's at, right? Like, Joe Holly and I could sit next to each other in the same room and hear two very different messages. And a lot of it's framed on what's going on in our life. Mm. Maybe it's because you got in a fight with your girlfriend today and I didn't. Mm. Um, and so I'm got a little more bandwidth to navigate what's being said to me in this particular meeting. Mm. And so I think, you know, I don't know that you could do it at that level where you're considering every single story, but I think that is the, um, that's a worthy goal and a worthy pursuit to be able to understand our athletes intimately to be able to um, have the field to speak into their lives. Mm. And then beyond that, I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders to be able to give them a set of skills, similar to what I referenced earlier, to be able to fall back on as they shape who they are, uh, to be able to have a just budding and growing sense of self-efficacy as a human being and as a person, and then also be able to look at their um, life and their environment and be able to point out and identify who are the, the the primary voices in their life that help them be them best their best selves, that can hold them accountable, that can uh, help them be a source of motivation through good and bad, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I think these are um, all of the types of things that need to be considered when you talk about helping an athlete navigate 
uh, a massive, massive shift in um, their identity. And there, there's plenty of research that shows that um, cycling out of sport <clears throat> is the equivalent of a death in the family. And there is literally a grieving process for the identity that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. And, and, you know, I know you've gone back to school to study this. You're going back to get your doctorate currently. Is that? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So talk a little bit more about the research and what you're studying and, and what you've found, um, you know, on top of the grieving process and what that looks like. Yeah, I think a lot of this is actually stuff I've been diving in uh, this semester. So maybe it's a little bit more uh, on my heart at this point, but it talks about identity and um, how contextual that is and how um, identity is informed in a situative nature based on um, the people you're around, the tools and resources in your environment, um, how other people acknowledge um, you within an environment. Um, you might think I have edge and energy. Another person might think I'm a jerk, right? And it's really the same behaviors coming out. But how does that shape my engagement and my participation in an environment um, is a really fascinating topic. And I think to narrow it uh, in the context of athletics, I think you could easily start um, drawing some, con maybe not conclusions, but being able to point to examples of your life where um, the people that you've met and the experiences you've had and just the variety of um, other people and um you know, their backgrounds and how that's influenced you shapes who you are as a person independent of athletics themselves, right? I think one of the most fascinating things we've studied is this idea of identity and um, knowing someone by knowing their language. And I, I've long held that, you know, if you've been in a locker room, the locker room itself has a language that uh, few others can really understand, you know, and if you just pressed your ear to the locker room door, you'd hear so many things that make <clears throat> they make zero sense whatsoever. But for the people in that locker room, it is completely a coherent language. Wow. And if I went back to a reunion and saw all of my buddies and saw team teammates and people who, you know, back then came from a different place and over the last 10 years have lived a different life too, we could pick up the same jokes. We could pick up the same slang. We could pick it all back up. And because we acknowledge that within each other, um, you just hit the ground running. And it's uh -huh. incredible. And, and, like when you talk about it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because people see it and recognize you in it. Mm. And, you know, it's one thing when you're in college and maybe you're the guy that wears your, you know, your travel sweats to class all the time. And so every time you hit a room, um, the rest of the environment recognizes that you're a football player or that you're an athlete or that, you know, you're something. I, I'm not saying that this happened a lot for the long snapper, but this definitely happened a lot for people that were a lot more talented than I was, but it definitely has an effect. There is an awareness. And when that awareness goes away, you have to ask yourself, what are the things in your environment, the context, the tools and resources um, and the people that you draw your identity from? How is that shaped? And then how is that going to inform your participation moving forward? Uh, I mean, it all comes back to self-awareness, right? Because we, that's yeah. all we're doing is living a story of who we think we are and how we interact with the world. And even the people that we interact with, we have a different story about each of those individually. Like you talked about, some two different people might think of you as a different person because of, of the lens in which they view reality. And that's kind of a collective issue that not is not, you know, not just athletes, but everybody's living this story. And anybody that goes through a big transition and has this sort of ego death, which all an ego is, is the construct of who you are and how you relate with the world, having to shift that story. But then the fascinating thing is like dropping back in. I notice even when I go back and hang out with some of my old teammates, like I'll start saying words and kind of my body language and the way I talk to them 
I just drop back into them. I haven't lived around them for like five or six years, but when I go talk them in the group, like I, it's so funny. Cause like, when I think about it, it's like, does he, or do they, uh, talk like that when I'm not around or do they drop into it too? And so it's like, you can't really know because the environment shapes it so much. It's really <coughs> And and how differently would that be received if if that was your mode of connection all the time? Mm. And like if you approached life that way, like how often would that kind of engagement fall on deaf ears? I mean, it's really interesting to think of it um, that way. There's there's kind of a um, a two sided nature of this where um, you think about. I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. I'm actually so excited about all the things we're talking about and the way to go through it. I feel like I have a set of notes here too to um, be talking about, but when you are engaging with people that you've spent that kind of time with, it's really easy to pick up where you left off and roll from there. When that dynamic shifts and you're left to look around for cues in your environment that signal who your identity is and what your influence is, it's really difficult. All right, I picked it back up. Here we go. So when you talk about an EQ standpoint, an emotional intelligence standpoint, um, the first part of that for me, and, and this is you know something that's been instilled in me and the people that I worked with in athletics for a long time is being able to lead yourself first. And if you can't lead who you are day to day and whatever that looks like, it's really hard to give that away. You can't give away what you don't have yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can't understand who you are and begin making sense of your personal narrative at as early as possible. And there's no reason to say you couldn't start doing this as a a true freshman on campus for the first time. Um, If you're not down the road a little bit and considering who you are as a human being and and what, what your preferences are and what is it that shapes you and how does that inform you? It's very difficult to have awareness of others and who they are and what their preferences are and what shapes them. And so that ability to connect um, is often strained. uh, and, And you see that a lot where, You know, maybe you're on a team where uh, a player like a quarterback is given a bunch of power and influence just merely based off of being a quarterback. But maybe he can't lead the team. Mm -hmm. And some of that is a self-awareness deficit where uh, they don't know how to connect with other people and they don't know how to engage with people in a meaningful way and drive them towards something common. And I think a lot of that, the roots of that, when you talk about being prepared to be someone else almost overnight into the real world you have to have spent some time considering sharpening, uh, collaborating with, with meaningful discourse, meaningful candor with others and people you trust to figure out who you are first. Mm. Yeah. It all comes back to self-awareness. Right. And that's the one thing that we can implement earlier on is bringing tools to shine the light of awareness on the self and understanding who you are and why you interact with the world in a certain way and your upbringing. And, you know, that's a lot of the work I'm doing with, you know, the community is like in this, and that's why I think the transition is a beautiful place to work with people because it's, it's such an obvious thing to look at and be like, okay, the story of who I am is no longer there. And you can objectively like really see how clearly that that was just a story and you you have an opportunity to create a new story, but yeah, it comes back to, uh, to, to self-awareness. And I think what I'm learning too, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, the relationships and getting to know players while they're playing, not just kind of talking at them, but getting to know them. There's this big need for creating safety where someone feels safe enough to share vulnerably where they're really at. And I think that is a big issue that we're kind of coming up. And, you know, I've learned um, through the work that I'm doing in the community, like the real power of what I'm creating is 
a safe place that's non-judgmental where the guys feel safe to really just share their experience of life where they're at. And there's so much healing power in that because when you feel safe enough to share who you are, then you can start showing up in the world as that person without the fear of being judgment, which is judged, which is the shame that kind of keeps us closed in. And that's why when we go around other people, we put these masks on, right. To interact with that's people right. who feel safe. That's and And what you just talked about is a intimate personal experience probably done in, in very small numbers and takes time to get to a point where, where you're willing to be vulnerable, willing to share. I, one of the uh, professors was sharing in, in a class recently this idea of imposter syndrome. And really the the antidote to imposter syndrome is, is being willing to serve others and look outside yourself and support people. And so mm. when it's it's very, it's comforting or, or maybe it's more comfortable to, to put a mask on and um, try and be somebody we're not um, to be able to take that experience and that all of that um, sense making you've done throughout your career and, and all the various people you've met and uh, the ups and downs and so on and so forth to have a sense of understanding about yourself and then to be able to serve others through that, I think could be the path to really helping people. Um, it's still going to be hard. I don't think anyone says like we can solve this and it'll be easy now. Um, but to be able to get on a trajectory that's sustainable um, long-term and be able to take a lot of that experience uh, that they've gathered over a period of time and, and apply it in a really powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the idea of being of service is, has been so impactful in my life. And I know I, when I was first done playing, you know, I went through the whole identity crisis, I ended up buying a van and traveling the country for a year to try and find myself. But after the the kind of excitement of that experience kind of started wearing down, I realized, yeah. okay, I can't do this forever. I don't want to do this forever. I want to, I want to do something with my life. And like, what is that? And it wasn't until I started asking myself the simple question, okay, how can I be of service? And when I started asking that, I started showing up for something bigger than myself. And it's led me down this path of creating this community and, and a bunch of other things. But I think that's a big aspect of helping athletes find deeper meaning in the world is doing something that is for something bigger than yourself. And having that anchor point really can be a guiding star to help you show up. Right. Cause if we're doing that and like, if the world is doing that, it's just a, it's, it's a way to find deeper purpose because purpose is such a fluid thing. Right. I think yeah. a lot of athletes go transition. Like what's my purpose? What am I here to do? And it's, it's fluid. It's, it's what, are you being called to do in this moment? Go do that thing and being open to what that is. But I think it does come back to finding that heart of service. And in order to do that, you have to shine the light of awareness on yourself and show up for yourself to know who you are on a deeper level. Amen. I mean, you, you could take everything that you just said and provide a personal anecdote from your athletic career um, from probably almost certainly any good team you've been on and talk about how we all had community where we showed up every day and the task in front of us was to go be our best to win a championship or whatever that goal may have been. Um, you guys spoke a, a similar language and connected in a uniquely personal way. Um, and, you know, you talk about the servanthood and being able to sacrifice maybe your own um, comfort level or your like literally for you in the trenches, like your physical comfort, right? Yeah. This is part of the nature of your job um, was to sacrifice. And this is something that I've identified a lot with being a former long snapper. Like I want to continue to 
you know, believe that way in my approach to athletics or just my career in general is that like it, my job is to be really, really good to help other people be really, really good. And I'm okay with not getting any of the credit for it. I'm just trying to put them in a position to feel as comfortable with their environment and be really good. And I think that was a, a moment for me as a player where I took a lot of the weight off of my shoulders, thinking that, you know, a million people are watching this game and I'm holding the ball um, as a sophomore. And then as a junior and senior where things start to slow down, it's because I took the pressure off myself and made it more about a cause that was broader than that. It was really just our special teams unit and my, you know, brothers that were a part of that and trying to be good for them as opposed to being good so that my own ego or whatever didn't suffer. And so with all those things that you just said about finding purpose, uh, being able to um, understand where you need to give of yourself and give from yourself, like all that applies directly to our athletic experience. But um, for whatever reason, it doesn't, that knowledge doesn't transfer um, like you might think it would. Yeah. That's a beautiful point. Cause I think about that too. It's, it's how was I able to push myself through some of the most hellish experiences, physically, mentally, emotionally, like training camps where it's just yep. biggest grind. It's because I was showing up for the guy next to me, you know, like when I'm on a 12 play drive and I'm so exhausted and I see all my other linemen just so exhausted. And it's like, yo, like, let's do this. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the guys next to me because we're, we do have a common goal and being ser- being of service to that common goal is really what brings more than we know of ourselves out of ourselves, which is really quite a beautiful experience. Um, share a little bit about your vision with, um, you know, I know you're going to school and you're developing a program. Talk a little bit about your, mo- your personal vision for, you know, being of service to this, um, this community, this brotherhood, these athletes uh, on a bigger, wider scale. Well, I, th- I think a lot of what I do, regardless of what my opportunity is, is to try and um, take the, the identity that I have shaped for myself, or at least tasked myself with identifying to, is this idea, and it, it may sound a little hokey, but this works for me. It doesn't have to work for everybody, is this idea of a champion walk-on long snapper, champion of the cause of the team that I'm a part of and whatever it is that we're collectively pursuing walk on uh, in terms of has to earn everything, not entitled to anything. And long snapper, somebody who is their job is to really be as good as humanly possible so that other people can reap the benefits of success and that it starts with me. Um, And that's my responsibility and and a calling that I have to answer to. I think in terms of my vision of where this can go, um, it's still pretty open-ended at this point, but this is something that I'm spending every day studying and considering and sharpening on how is it that we can, in some sense, change the way that we think of player development in, in a manner that adequately serves scale, that takes into consideration each person as a unique human being and that has a, a personal narrative and a, a set of influences and voices and experiences that, that frames everything that they do within an environment and how they participate. And then how can we stay on top of that and serve them in the environment and through it and be able to build with them a, an internal tool belt of skills and experiences and not just accumulating them, but being able to make sense of them and being able to have the relationships to uh, find that uh, deeper meaning and distilling the uh, real whys and the, the actual lessons learned from those experiences to be able to apply it moving forward. And then beyond that, um, 
one of my biggest passions and just visions for this is being able to mentor in the space is to work with people and to do life with them and go deep in a sense that um, helps them make sense as they navigate some of this similar to how I have and my teammates have and be able to do it without having to make all the mistakes that we did. That's it, man. It's beautiful. And I mean, you're just the wisdom and knowledge and the way you're articulating all these thoughts and your passion to be a service. It's really beautiful to see. And I'm really excited. Thank you to be on this journey with you. I definitely want to support you in any way. And I know that, you know, there is a huge need to serve this community of people. I know a lot of people have, and it's, 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 it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. And I think a lot of people come up against that challenge. And I think it takes really special uh, people focused on, you know, the right kind of mission. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I think, you know, leaving the the conversation, final question, is there any practical tips, um, resources, books, things that, you know, maybe some athlete is going through the kind of the dark night of the soul right now and listening to this podcast that, you know, you can share that might support them through what they might be, uh, navigating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think I offer any of this as, as a silver bullet philosophy, but this is stuff that practically has worked for me. Um, and being able to challenge myself to deeply consider why it is that I'm choosing to do this. What is it that gets me out of bed and motivates me to do this? And um, as an athlete, it's pretty clear to whether it's for your own growth, your own development as a performer or um, collectively as part of a team, it's easy to have that. Um, But when your position changes, whether it be, um, you know, young and single and entering the the real world or um, married and husband now and or, uh, you know, father or any of these things as these roles change, I think it's important to ask um, how, how does your identity continue to evolve? Like this process of becoming, I don't mean to make this as complex as sometimes I, I make it sound, but like we are constantly becoming something. What are the things that are shaping that for us? And having this heightened awareness as to everything that I'm engaging, whether it be the food that I put in my body, the entertainment that I consume, et cetera, et cetera. This is shaping who I am. And none of that is more important, in my opinion, than the people that you're dealing with. And if you have the capacity to look around and identify um, people that genuinely want to make you better and help you be your best self and have your best interests at heart, which often includes being willing to speak truth to you in a hard way. I think that right there puts you in a position to be more successful than most. That's beautiful, man. I would agree. It's always like seek out the people like that you want to surround yourself with that you want to be like, and you will elevate. I mean, it's fascinating the the power our environment has over who we are. Like you said earlier, yep. just even going back, dropping into an old group of friends, it's fascinating to witness even within myself. It's like, wow, why am I acting with like, and it's funny because having my wife now and bringing her back with me to those old friends, she just so clearly is like, what was that? <laughs> you know? Right. It's right. Like, I have, I have a group of friends from high school that are just unbelievable human beings. And I, uh, you know, over the years, I, I thought it was this, um, tough group to penetrate for newcomers specifically like as we started getting married and spouses and relationships started entering the fold. And I think, you know, five or six years ago, I really defended that, like earn your right to be a part of the group. Um, now that I'm married, my perspective has significantly uh, shifted where it's, uh, that's a tough group 
to enter because at the drop of a hat, we could pick up a 20 year old inside joke and just roll with it. And everybody gets it. And we just move forward. And you leave people in the dust pretty easily if you're not willing to uh, circle back and, and include them. And so um, I'm lucky to have those people in my life and they are incredibly uh, primary players in shaping who I am as a human being. Absolutely. Yeah, man, this has been a really fun conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it was really insightful, a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. Um, where can people find you? I don't know if you're on social media or you have anywhere that people can kind of drop in and reach out to if they're interested in connecting. Um, generally I'm not, not very active on social media. Um, I have a Twitter account at be someone 50 and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but I'm always willing and looking to talk to people and just chase breadcrumbs uh, one spot to the next of people that really have a genuine and authentic servant's heart and and want to give away their experience and their wisdom uh, to people coming behind us. Awesome. And we'll put those links in the show notes. I think LinkedIn will probably be the best then if people want to reach out. Okay. Um, we'll put those in the show notes and I'll have, you know, my assistant reach out to you to get the links and proper stuff for that. Other than that, man, I really appreciate it, dude. It's, it's really been amazing. And like I said, here to support you on the mission, um, anybody that shows up with a real heart of service, it's, it's really what's making the the world a better place. And the more of us that can show up in that way, I think there's going to be a, a collective massive shift that is already starting to take place and it's going to spread like wildfire. So I really appreciate you, man. Amen, man. This is a worthy cause and a worthy pursuit. and um, It's fun to find people to be able to kind of lock arms with and do this together. All right, bro. Take it easy. All right. Huge thank you to Brian for coming on and sharing all that amazing wisdom and knowledge. And I love meeting guys and sharing conversation with guys that you know, just really have a heart of service, really focused on making the world a better place and serving the community that they're called to. Um, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of courage and, um, you know, really grateful for that man and how he's showing up and, you know, educating himself and going to get his doctorates. Definitely, you know, learning about some of the, the deeper psychological stuff, um, you know, from, from the education system is something I've kind of thought about doing, but I just don't have the, the time or bandwidth to go back to school. But Really, really appreciate him and, and the effort and energy he's putting in. Um, if you are interested in connecting with him, um, his information is in the show notes. I think LinkedIn, he said, was the best place to contact him. And I would love to hear from y'all. What do you think of the episode? Is there any guests that you would like to hear? Any former professional athletes? Any topics? Anything that you think would add value to you? Let me know. I love y'all so much. And until next time, peace.